Hi, beautiful people. I just want to start today by sharing how deeply thankful I am for this group of listeners in the Ash and Ivy community. I am just so stinking grateful for your friendship. I feel extremely confident that those of you listening here are absolutely the most compassionate lovers of people on this planet. And I also want to say how deeply I care about you. I thank you for being here. Discussing fragile topics like race today is daunting, yet essential to to loving people. And so over the past year, I've committed to learning as much as I can. And to be honest, I regret not knowing more sooner. I want to stand with the hurting, and I know that you do too. At times, though, I'm filled with so much grieving that I don't even know how I can bear to learn anymore, and I don't know how to move forward. I've heard from many, many other people that it's overwhelming and you don't know when to speak or when to stay quiet. You might not know what to say or how to say it. And I just want to tell you that that's okay. In my own life, as I learn and grow, I continually have to reset and follow the peace, renew my mind and abide in the Father because His way is true and good and we can trust Him to always lead us toward love, right? So Marcy is our guest today and she is divine. I mean it. She oozes grace and gentleness. She loves to laugh. She's a good friend. She's so dang smart. We're honored to have her here and we just get to listen. There's no condemnation in this space. This is an invitation to see each other Imagine Day in God's magnificent image, made to hold dominion and walk in freedom. So I invite you to celebrate Black History with me, not just today, but all year. Celebrate your neighbors. Talk about the joy and the strength in people of color. There is so much to celebrate, so much good. When we start, you'll be able to tell that we've already been chatting before we get into this set. And I plan to share parts of that earlier conversation at another time. But Marcy shares about marrying, raising her daughter, aging, and body image. And it just felt like a topic for its own special episode. What do you think? I know we all deeply feel the issue of body image. I hated to take it out as it gently enters us into the heavy conversation you'll hear today, but this conversation does get long and it doesn't even start to cover the depths of what we need to hear. So to respect your time and make it more manageable to listen to the whole episode, I've split it into two parts. Marcy bravely gives us a peek into her life and I want to honor her for that. I've always been so guarded about my own story so I learned to really respect others who can just share themselves with such courage. It's in those moments of connections when you hear a story that invite you to wake up and be brave, right? You get that. You know what I mean? It's when you see someone else a few steps ahead of you sharing with freedom that makes you want more. It invites you because you see them on the other side and it pushes you or pulls you into more from for life. And that's exactly why we make space for others to share. One, because sharing is healing, but two, because we as the listener need to hear it. I need to hear it. It pulls me out of my own mind, my own thinking, um, and it allows me to grow compassion and love others better, right? 
And so I want us to do that together. That's what this community is about. And because I love you just so much. All right. So in episode one, she tells us what motivated her to step into her current platform of teaching black history. She tells us the hardships, but also the joy, the fight and the successes. It kind of reminds me of rewriting your story with a new narrative, right? She also gives us a glimpse into her heart behind her platform. Her platform is on Instagram. It's called Black Coffee with White Friends, and she's going to tell us a little bit more about that. And we're going to just walk in her shoes for a bit today. I want to point out how cool it is, how God took something that Marcy loved, which is writing, and used her to fill a need. Marcy laughed through telling me all about like when she'd be on a date with her husband and would just dream up and start a blog all in her mind and then already have quit it again before she even got home from the date. Hello, I super duper relate to that. Girls, we just need to do the dang thing and let God move mountains through us, right? Today, we have a mountain mover on the show. Listen in to hear the powerful ways God is using this beautiful woman. Marcy, we have jumped way into <laughs> great things, and I haven't even introduced you. So <laughs> tell us okay. just, let's back up. We were talking about the four episodes with yeah. her story speaks, and it just was so beautiful. I've already encouraged all of our listeners to go listen to all of those. Um, but I want to hear kind of about you just what has your life been like? Take us back a little <laughs> bit and tell us about who you are and how you got to where you are now. Oh gosh, that's a story. But um, I'm, <laughs> I'm Marcy Alvis Walker and I, I, I'm a writer. Um, I say just a writer, even though it makes a lot of people crazy. But the reason why I say that is that I'm not, um, I'm not an anti-racist facilitator. I'm not a racial reconciliation teacher. I don't do workshops. I'm, I'm none of those things. I am a writer writing about my particular experience in the world, which is um, being generally the only Black person having friends who are mostly white. So that's the experience that I write about most. Um, and I also do mockingbird history lessons. And even with that, I, I'm a writer writing about history. I'm not an historian telling you about history. I'm writing about history, I hope in a way that's engaging. And my hope is to take the part of the earnings that I, I get from that platform, which is a Patreon platform, is that I take that and I, I'm building curriculum for little kids and their families. Well, actually it's, it's kids all the way through um, high school. Um, a way for them to teach history alongside the history that they may be learning in school. I so. didn't know that's what you were doing. I am yeah. thrilled to hear that because that was one of my questions for you is how do we reconcile what our kids are being taught in school with what we've learned is reality yeah. and oh it's overwhelming so it is i'm excited overwhelming. to yeah that yeah so the mockingbird history lessons are for adults right now and the reason right. was i i was just going to start writing them for kids and i thought oh but if i'm 
giving this to parents to use as a supplement, but if the parents never have the history, like they've <laughs> never had it, because I certainly didn't grow up with it. Right. Um, I really want to to help parents to understand history and then to be able to sit with their kid and, and ask the right questions about history. And that all began because, as I said, I, I met my husband when he lived in Austin, I lived in Chicago, and we got married, we moved to Austin because of his job. And my daughter and I, our world became really small, really quick. Um, Austin is in a very diverse place as far as African-American people. Um, it's becoming more and more diverse, but as far as what I left in Chicago, it was nothing like that. It just wasn't. Like I was used to having more more of a black presence in leadership, more in a black of a black present presence in the church. You know, it wasn't unusual to walk down the street and see black people walking down the street too. But when I came to Austin, it I would go days, weeks, not seeing another black person, not a single right. one. <laughs> and um wow. and it was very overwhelming for me. Very, very um it, it really was it was a strange, um, whew, it, it was a strange time. And so when my daughter was started going to school, she was in second grade. By the time she was in fourth grade, she was getting bullied, not for race. She was getting bullied for being smart. And I was like, oh my goodness, I don't know what to do with that. Like, I don't want her to get to a point where it's not worth it to be smart. That was my big concern. I was like, I, right. I don't want her to get to the part where it's not worth it to be a good student who, who's engaged in learning. Yeah. Um, it really made a lot of kids come hard after her. And we're talking fourth grade. So I knew going by the time that she was in fifth grade, she was just going to be that girl in every grade that, that, that kids continued to pick on. And I thought, well, what am I going to do? So I tried to homeschool her and I, I really use the word tried. I did not. I read, we read a bunch of books. We took a lot of field trips. We did no math. We did no science. And, um, and she was that girl. She was a girl who needed math, a math teacher and science. And she needed, she needed more interaction in the world than I did. And um, cause I'm a bit of a hobbit. I, I could stay home forever and she was um, like needing more connections. And so I got her involved in a group called the American Heritage Girls. And um, which is like the, like a scouting group um, where they earn badges and they do different things. And so she was in that group and I met moms who were, whose daughters were attending a school where we met. And I just saw the school and I thought, these kids look so dang happy. I, I've got to get some of the sunlight for my girl. And so we applied to the school and went into it blind, not really thinking about the fact that there were no black kids there. Um, that there were no black mothers there, I should say. There were very few black kids. And most of those kids were in adopted families, which is a beautiful thing. But I didn't have like another black mom to talk to. Like it was just very, very hard. So we went into the school 
and she was there. Sixth grade was beautiful. Like it was everything we could have hoped that it would be. Seventh grade was a little harder. We noticed that she wasn't making friends in the way that we thought that she would because this, these were her eggheads. They were a bunch of egghead kids. They were all smart, all loved books, all loved, you know, like they were all those kinds of kids. We thought she was going to really meet some kids and it was going to be, she was going to make some fast friends. And it wasn't happening like that. It was, yeah. it was very, and we weren't making friends. My husband and I weren't making like major connections, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for all of our trying. And then eighth grade, I think that's when I got involved with the prayer team and that kind of helped things. Like I, I started to have some friends. Ninth grade, everything, but, but eighth grade was very hard for my daughter. And then ninth grade was worse. <laughs> and um, And it was in ninth grade that I learned that in 11th grade, the school was going to host their annual slave debates. And I was like, what? Like, what, what do you mean slave debates? And it was that, like, they would debate the pros and the cons of slavery. And the kids would do the debating. And each kid would have to do the pro and the con, like they would, they would switch sides. And I was like, my daughter can't do this project. My daughter cannot be in a classroom of her peers where her peers are saying that there are all these pros to slavery. Like, what are we, why are we debating it? There there are no pros to it. It was a terrible thing. So I talked to the school and um, I thought it was going well. And then honestly, Trump happened. and things started to get really weird at the school. Like there, there started to be definite um, sides, <laughs> um, definite opinions. And I, I was very confused by it all. And I, I just didn't, I was naive. I didn't know that a president could be so divisive. divisive. I didn't think it was gonna come to that. I thought, yeah, you know, well, people liked and didn't like Reagan. I kind of thought of it like that. Yeah. And I didn't know a lot about my history and I didn't know a lot of the, the stuff that I know today, but I, I kind of just thought, but, and so I was still pursuing um, unity that I thought just made sense. Like, like, well, of course we're not going to do slave debates, which they no longer do. Um, by the way, they did do that. And then um, we started meeting, like I was meeting with them all the time. And I was writing up these, re- like these suggestions, like spending all my time, like, here's a way that we could do better with this school. And I was doing all this research on other schools and what they were doing, because the problem wasn't the homogenous, the, the, the homogenous um, out, out, um, makeup of the of the community it was that the mindset was homogenous it was a very homogenous mindset it's very very there's only a few families that were running this thing like it was I started to just see okay this is what happens with nepotism is that if it, I'm talking to him but his mom is this person in the school and mm-hmm. his friend is on the board like I started to just see that this was not going to go anywhere this yeah. is not going to go anywhere. I'm wasting my time. And at the same time, things are getting really tense in our public life, like all Americans. Um, 
there's things happening with the Trump administration. There are there are there are riots happening with um, Freddie Gray, and there's just a lot that's happening. And I am just like I, I have to make. I wanted to get my daughter through the school because I thought. I thought that's where she needed to be. She wanted to leave after ninth grade, but I, we stuck it out for one more year. I was like, no, it's gonna be fine. And I wanted to, I'm like, this is what we're here for. We need to like help make this change. And mm -hmm. I really was intention. And I remember telling even a friend who was thinking about leaving. It's like, no, we can't leave. We have to stay and make it and do the change. And I just started hearing all these horrible stories about other parents who of kids who had who had kids of color who were not having a fun experience there and I just was like uh, this, the straw that broke the camel's back was they 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 were making this new school and building a new school and there was a um a, a new document that the parents would have had to sign statement of faith that everyone would have to sign it was five pages long and it had a lot of troubling language. It wasn't so much that they were saying something new. It was that they were saying it to the students. And I was like, they read it to the students before they read it to the parents. And it had a lot of things about what they would and wouldn't put up with. And it was, you know, like, won't put up with sexual misconduct, won't put up with homosexuality, won't put up with um, racism, we won't, but, but the language was, was taking different scriptures and, and just placing them where they saw fit. It was just very strange. Won't put up with abortion. And my concern was you were saying that you will not put up with any kind of brokenness to kids that may already be broken. And so what happened? So we, my husband and I sat down with the head of school and I was like, well, what happens if a girl should get pregnant? And he was just like, well, that's not going to happen. They're not having sex. And I was like, I hope that's true, but that could really not. They're teenagers. Their brains aren't even fully developed. Um, it was just a lot of things like that. Like, and I said, well, what happens if a parent comes to the school because their kid's being bullied for having a same-sex attraction and this parent loves Jesus and they want their kid to be safe. Are you saying that that parent couldn't bring their kid to the school? And they're like, well, no, we're not saying that. But I'm like, but you are because you put this in the, and I said, what about kids who are already struggling with same-sex attraction? Like, what, how are you guys helping those children feel safe to be there? You're saying that they're, they're, you're basically putting a stamp on their back and saying, it's okay that people attack you because we've said that this is wrong. And so it was a lot of things like that that were really troubling. And um, they were making the teachers sign it. And if the teachers didn't sign it, they could no longer teach at the school. And I was like, they have a right to do that. They do have a right to do that. Yeah. Um, they can do whatever they want. They're, they're their own institution. But then they were going to have it that the parents had to sign it. And if the parents didn't sign it, then the student couldn't go. And I was like, I cannot sign that. And so a handful of us left the school and teachers left the school. And I think for me at that time, I was writing, I, I was 
I had already launched Black Coffee with White Friends. I was already feeling a bit um, ousted with that, but it didn't matter. I was already ousted the moment that I arrived at the school as the only Black mom. So it's not like I was getting dinner invitations and then suddenly I didn't get them. I, I was never really receiving that anyway. So, and so you've um, used kind of all these things. Yeah. It's just built this momentum into what you're doing now. And it, exactly. That's all of it came from that. And, and, that, and that's why the history lessons, because I was like, how did someone, and I sat down with that, the teacher, the head of the history department, who told me her history of growing up in Selma, Alabama, and she's about a half a generation older than I am. So she remembers segregation and mm -hmm. um, she came from a very racist family and she felt like she was, she had been delivered from that, her racist ways, but there was a lot of lingering assumptions that were obviously still there. And she was a lovely person. And I think that's the thing that's so hard for people. You can be a lovely person and you can do these very, very racist things. You can be a yeah. well-intentioned person and you can really offend people. I don't think that she was, in, she was intending to do something that she, she was attempting to do something that she thought would be um, the opposite of racist. <laughs> but because she thought, well, if these kids have to do the pro and the con, then they can see how it is that it happens. And I was like, nope. I said, because first of all, you're assuming that all those kids in the classroom are not racist. Right. That's where it gets dangerous. And you don't know what their family conversations are. You don't know who their grand, we're in Texas. You don't know who their granddad and grandpappy is and all of that. You don't know. And so you're assuming that all these kids are coming to the table with clean hearts. And you're forgetting that it was Christians who were lynching people on church grounds. Yeah. So you're so yeah. one of the questions I have, and this is probably a loaded question, but but help me paint a picture for maybe the listener who is just getting started in this work. Mm -hmm. And let's just try to paint like a big picture of just where we are, I think, in society right now. I mean, because you might have someone say, slavery is over, racism isn't a thing, right? We hear those types yeah. of things. Um, and so what are we, I mean, you've started yeah. that a little bit, like what are we facing right now? And what is your heart in, in dealing with it? Well, I would say, to that question of why, why do we need to talk about the past? Why do we need to deal with racism? That isn't a thing. We've had a black president. That's a lot of what people will say. We now have a black um, madam vice president. So we're, we're done with sexism and racism in one fell swoop. And, you know, we're no longer xenophobic because she's um, part Pan-Asian. I think what I would have to say is take an inventory of your lived experience. Take an inventory of your friend groups. Take an inventory of who helps you do your life. Like go to the grocery store. Who's checking you out? Who are the managers? Um, just start to pay attention to who owns the restaurant, who's waiting the tables, who's your doctor, who's the receptionist, who 
And when you start to like add up, like the instances of where people of color are not in those positions of power, that's what racism is. Racism isn't the uncle who uses a racial, racial slur. That's just ignorance. Racism is um, systemic, it's planned, it's protected, and it, it usually goes unnoticed. We don't notice that there's a reason that our neighborhoods are all white, you know, that, we, yeah. that we've never had a black neighbor or we've only had one. Or just take inventory at your church. Who's, who's bringing the lesson? Who's leading the worship? Who's on the board of yeah. your schools, your churches? And when you take that inventory, look at your bookshelves. Who are you reading? How many authors of color do you have? How many people are women, especially in the Christian um, realm of theology um, or, or any religious um, background of, the, of theology? Um, who's making movies? When, when, you, when you take inventory of those things, it's hard to say that that has nothing to do with race because if you say that that has nothing to do with race, then what you're saying is that Black people just aren't up for the task. That Black people just somehow just can't get it together enough to compete on the same level. And if that's your belief, then that's a very racist idea. So, so when we go back and we look yeah. at the truth, mm-hmm. even though it is so painful, I mean, I have grieved mm-hmm. so deeply and it is heavy. It's hard. Mm-hmm. It's hard to face all of those things. Right. Um, do you, well, my first thought was, but we, we have to be able to see clearly what happened, what created racism, mm-hmm. how it's in order to know what's happening today. And I right. think that's what you've done such a beautiful job doing. Um, because on an individual level, mm-hmm we can feel like we're in a decent spot. Like, you know, like, no, I, you know, all Mm -hmm. the justifications that we make, but then it is important and essential to see, see further, look deeper, listen more. Right. And because there, there's so much pain there. I mean, yeah. And I think, I think a lot of, people don't know what to do with the pain. Like, okay, I'm, I want to step into this with you and, and, and be fully present. And I've committed to, um, and I think a lot of people feel that way. And then it's like, what it's hard, right? Like, how do you navigate your day to day with the depths of pain that you teach about and read about? That's a good question. Um, I think I do not want to, I think one of the problems is I, with, um, when white people are, are just now coming into it, or if if you're black, if you're like me and you, you, you weren't as aware and, and you're becoming into a new awareness or you're Asian or you're, um, of another race other than black. 
when you're coming into the awareness of, of what's happened in our country um, with slavery, with Jim Crow, with um, the huge period of time of lynching, what's happening now with the Black Lives Matter movement, um, with police brutality, voting rights, I could go on and on. So yeah, that gets real dark and it gets real heavy. I think I look to Mr. Rogers, who whose mom told him to look for the helpers. And I think that's what you have to do. You have to look for those beacons of light who are helping, um, who are who are helping in, in all the ways that they can. And I, I do a lot of that as well. So yeah, I am I am teaching history, but I'm also teaching about the fact that black people have always, always sought freedom and rebellion. That yeah. This was not, I think we, we've learned, I learned in school growing up that there was slavery and black people were just waiting for white people to just decide to let them go. That's kind of like how I, heard, I understood history to be. And there were a couple of people, there was Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass and Sojourner Truth, and that was about it who were actually seeking freedom. And there was that one slave rebellion, but they were naughty because they killed white people. So that's kind of how I heard history. But to find amazing stories of history, um, of people doing, um, risking everything for freedom. And and a lot of times, not even just freedom for... Um, themselves, but freedom for 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 others. Um, but we don't hear those stories. We don't hear about. Um, we don't hear about. I just recently taught, and I think I spoke about it on on uh, the Her, Her Story Speak podcast about a mumbat um, who was a slave, who was an enslaved woman serving. Um, people who were talking about the Declaration of Independence, and she was taking notes, mental notes, and sued for her freedom. We don't hear these stories. We don't. We don't hear the stories. Um, we don't hear what all about what Harriet Tubman did after after she she um, migrated. We don't hear that she um, adopted children. We don't, we don't hear about all the people who started schools. We don't hear about the newspapers that um, Black people started. Um, we don't hear about those things. We don't hear about uh, how Ida B. Wells is, I think it was Ida B. Wells. I might be wrong on that, but Ida B., I think it was Ida B. Wells and Frederick Douglass went to um, the World's Fair at the same time the same words fair where Anne Jemima was revealed and they were handing out pamphlets, very anti-racist pamphlets about black beauty, black excellence and black power. Like that's what they were doing at the same time that there were exhibits of black people in cages. (laughs) And um, they were saying, this is wrong. This is not who we are. And so I think we have to not dwell in the negative as if that is the end of the story, because obviously it's not. It's obviously not the end of the story. So we have to start just saying, okay, well, how do people survive that? Like, what are those stories? And I love um, in the Jewish community, 
uh, Steven Spielberg has a library of people just telling their stories of the Holocaust and how they survived. And I think we need to start having that kind of a, of a library of our own history in this country about how people survived oppression, um, how people have survived lynching mobs. And, and there are people who survived being lynched, like people who were strung up and somehow got away. And I think we just have to be vigilant about feeding ourselves with those stories too, feeding ourselves with the beautiful things as well as the hard and difficult things. Because I think what tends to happen is we tend to stay in this one point of history of with movies a, a lot, like, you know, like usually movies that are centered with a, a certain white person saving a black person. And I think we have to start being interested in movies where whiteness isn't the center. Um, there's a great movie um, right now that's a hard movie to watch, but it's important to see it called Judas and the Black Messiah. It's about how um, Fred Hampton, who was one of the leaders of the Black Power Movement, was betrayed um, by an insider who had been hired by the FBI to feed them information, an informant, and how he, he led the FBI to being able to assassinate Fred Hampton right in his bed. Um, and why that happened, why they felt the need to do that. I think that that's the thing that we have to be willing to do is to take these stories, grieve them, but also take the joyous ones. And I think that's, a, I think the joyous, the joyful parts are the hard part for many people. I think they're very comfortable with the hurt and the pain. I think that they're very comfortable with being very active around George Floyd's death, but they might not be as comfortable celebrating Beyonce's homecoming um, deal with Netflix. We tend to be a lot more critical of black joy than we are of black pain. That's the truth. We we tend to be much more comfortable with, oh my gosh, this is so terrible. And and kind of like, but when something good happens, we tend to be like, well, is it good or is it just black good? You know, it's mm -hmm. like jingle jangle was one of those ones where people are just like yeah but is it good is it is it just where people were actually critical of this beautiful movie christmas movie that black children get to see themselves be the center of the story or um lately people have been very down on bridgerton because they're just like, well, it can't, we couldn't have had a black queen. No, we couldn't have had a black queen, but there's so much more that we couldn't have done back then. It's a fantasy. And I'm yeah. just like, it's not, it's not the story. It's a fantasy. And so yeah. it's, it's, it's just allowing for black imagination to imagine is very difficult. We want to confine it to that's not possible. You can't do that. And I think that's problematic. What I hear you saying is kind of a victim, more of a victim place or? Well, well it's more of a, um, 
of a savior, white savior, black trauma. Like mm -hmm. I, I don't know what to do if you don't need me to do anything. I don't know how to allow you to just have your shows and have them yeah. be about you and not about me too. Yeah, like I know what to do with the that. movie to help because that's about me too. I know what to do yeah. with the movie, the green book, because that's it about fits me too. the norm. Right. But I don't know what to do with, um, do the right thing. Cause that's not about me saving you. Yeah. And so how do we get into this place? I think I heard maybe Tasha or Letty, one of them talk about just let me, I just want to live and not have to fight for my humanity. I just want right. to be, Mm -hmm. I have my hair and love it. And I want to have my curves and love them yeah. and, yeah. and the whole thing and get to this place. I kept listening for what is like, there's this balance of, I've come to a place where I feel like as a, as a nation, we're in this shifting of facing the truth mm -hmm. and we have to sit there for a while, even though it's uncomfortable because in our lives, that's how we find healing as well we have to face, we have to go back. We have to face our facts and say, yeah, this is what happened in my life. And I need, you know, I need healing there. I need to face it and list out that truth and forgive in that space and let Jesus heal that space in order to move forward into beauty. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like that's kind of where we are as a nation is in that place of, no, we need to face reality, you know, in order to move. And so what I am interested in and what I kept listening for from each of, you know, each of you sharing so openly was what is it that you're looking for that does show the healing. And so I, I appreciate you sharing, you know, that it's looking mm -hmm. for the helpers and finding the joy and the celebration. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. I, I just would say that but but America's always been in this place. Yeah. It's just now that we have social media to track it. But right. It, well, yeah. And like I I watched an interview with Dr. John Gray mm -hmm. and um and I mean just sobbed. My husband and I and my kids all were sobbing and and it is this understanding that this is not new. Not new. But with all the things, all the tragedies, and then the political, mm -hmm. I think the political piece, the unrest and the. Yeah, but that's not new either. I mean, it really isn't. Um, if you go back to as early as, gosh, as early as anything, we, we've well, always had yeah. this. There's always been this, What what hasn't been is um, Black voices so steadily um, being heard and so accessible. So like in the Black community, there's always been this, always. I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't stress it enough. Trump is not new. It's not new. Um, we've had, he actually used a lot of things that other presidents in history used um, for his platform. Um, America, let's make America great again. That's not new. Reagan used a very similar um, slogan, if not the same exact one. So that's not new. Um, pandemics where black people are dying in, in larger numbers than white people, 
that's not new. That happened with the, with the last pandemic. That that happened with the AIDS epidemic. That that has always happened. Um, I uh, voting rights. Um, what happened in Georgia? Georgia was a was a a slave free state when it first came into um, when it first yeah. became a state. So what happened? with this last election with Georgia had always been a fight in Georgia where there would be this rise in black political machinery, right? And then there would be a white mob who would lynch people and and have insurrections and take over and take it back. But that was happening in the country all over the country. That's why when people are like, well, where are the black political leaders? Well, a lot of them are in the grave because they were killed, right? because white mobs would have an uprising and take back leadership. So that was new. that's not new. And I think we have to be honest about that. It's not new, it's, it's always been. I think the question is, why didn't I know? Why am I just now knowing? Yeah. Um, why at 51 am I just now becoming more and more clear? Why, why did it take me until I was 40? 46, right? So I think that that's more of the question. Oh man, it's all so good. I'm going to end this segment right there on that question. Why am I just now knowing? Let's just sink into the rich wisdom we've heard here today. I was there for the initial conversation with Marcy, but I've listened to it so many times and every single time I just understand more and more. My mind opens to more truth and beauty of what she's describing. It's all so life-giving. I know I am ridiculously awkward and I fumble through it, but so thankful for Marcy's kindness, her generosity. I'm looking forward to sharing part two with you next week. I hope you'll listen in. Marcy and I talk about every person being created in God's image, born to rise up, take dominion, live that free life as God intended. You'll also get to hear mine and Marcy's favorite life first and all about her book. I'm so grateful for the time you pour into listening and learning about others. It shows the heart of God in you. I love you. And as always, I'm cheering for you.